Welcome to If Not Us, the podcast for changemakers and do-gooders in the world. I'm your host, Sarah Ackerman, and today we're talking about reproductive rights and lobbying 101 for the everyday citizen with the amazing Megan gordon Kane, Public Affairs Manager and Lobbyist for the Feminist Women's Health Center in Atlanta. Thank you so much for joining us today, Megan. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So uh, just to set the stage, uh, tell me about the mission of the Feminist Women's Health Center and what is your role there? Okay. Of course, my dog starts barking like the literal second we start actually doing the podcast. His name is Charlie. He's got very strong feelings about um, reproductive rights and citizen engagement with their government. He just wants you to know that he cares. Um, Your support, Charlie. Um, there is, there's someone in my neighborhood who, um, like during 40 days for life, they, they put up like a little sign in the yard that says, I think it's like pray to end abortion. And he pees on it every single time without prompting. He just, he's really into it. He's good. He's a good boy. He's the best boy. Oh, Um, just, just a little loud, but anyway, so feminist ones health center has been in Atlanta since 1976, yes, 76. Um, we are an independent abortion provider. That And what that means, for those who aren't familiar with that language, it means that basically it's, it's just us in our one building and that's all there is. We're not like connected with some larger network the way like Planned Parenthoods are, stuff like that. It's just, we're, we're just us doing our best. Um, and independent providers actually provide more than 60% of abortions in the country. Yeah, we just sort of fly under the radar. Um, Anyway, um, our mission at Feminist Center is to provide compassionate gynecological care to all who need it without judgment. But we also do way more than that. We have a um, really robust community outreach and education department. And this is the stuff that I really love about Feminist Center because we, work out of the reproductive justice framework, which means that we're not only looking at like, you know, helping people, um, you know, have the legal right to abortion or get their abortions or get their contraception and like be healthy and have happy, healthy, like sexual and reproductive lives. We are also looking at issues of of access and the ability to live with dignity. Um, so we work on things like uh, economic justice, things like childcare issues. Uh, we have a Lifting Latinx Voices initiative that's designed to help folks in, in those community, in, in the Latinx community, sorry, it is, uh, I've not finished caffeinating yet. Okay. <laughs> um, our Lifting Latinx Voices initiative um, works in the Latinx community to help people both get like competent, culturally competent sex ed, but also to just overcome the health issues and many barriers that racism and like immigration issues can can put in front of that community. So it's not just about what we do in the clinic, but during COVID, we started doing like mutual aid to the people involved with our Lifting Latinx Voices program. Um, we are working, we work with a ton of coalitions to, to work on things like maternal mortality, mm-hmm. uh, workplace accommodations for pregnant workers, workplace harassment, um, 
Oh, there was one more thing. Shit. That's already well, so much more than like so I'm even aware of. Like, yeah. And for, for me and my role, one thing that I really love about my job is, um, you know, my whole life really revolves around Georgia's General Assembly and our legislative session. But because we at Feminist work out of the reproductive justice framework, which is so broad, it gives me a lot of freedom to lend support wherever I'm needed. Like, obviously, I was very deeply involved in the fight against the six-week abortion ban a few years ago, but also uh, we consider immigration to be a reproductive justice issue. So when we have big immigration fights in the General Assembly, I'm able to go help out with those voting rights also connected. And so I was helping out a lot with that this year. And so I, I love, love, love that um, the framework that we use lets me go wherever I'm needed and in service of the broader social justice movement. That's amazing. It's, uh, it's not every day that you can find a role where that is like you're just you go and use your incredible skill set wherever it's going to best serve the community and it's not just sorry I can't do this because like we only do this one very specific thing instead it sounds very uh extremely all-encompassing because it's with the framework that you're using it uh it it touches it, I don't want to say it touches everything but like just shy yeah, exactly because for example one of the tenets of reproductive justice is the ability to raise your children with dignity. And so that's a lot. That's everything from like minimum wage to affordable childcare to um, like ICE mm -hmm. and immigration issues. If you like can't drop a kid off at school without being worried about an ICE checkpoint or your family's being split up by deportation, like those are also things that prevent you from raising your children in dignity. So it's, we do a lot. We do a whole lot. <laughs> you stay busy. Um, yeah, so you kind of hinted at this before, but how does your how does your life change uh, between when the Georgia like when we're in legislative session in Georgia to when we're out of session? Like, does that how does that swing for you in terms of where your priorities are and how you spend your time? Well, I sleep when <laughs> session is not in, so that is the biggest one for me. Um, just, just a little bit of context for listeners who might not. Um, be aware, Georgia has a part-time legislature. The thinking being that all the people in the General Assembly will have other jobs and that they are regular people who are living under the laws that they're making. And it's, it's very idealistic, which sounds kind of nice, but the, um, what, the way it actually ends up playing out is that most of them are retired or they are have the kind of jobs or are independently wealthy and have the kind of life that, that lets them take three months off their job from roughly January through March to like go be in the Capitol in Atlanta making laws like every day for three yeah. months. And then just go home to your, like it's a, it's a split lives. Yes, yes. And so like you don't, there are no public school teachers, right? It's not possible. There's not, I think there, there actually is a preschool teacher who like, bus ass to make it work. Um, yeah, yeah, and th there's not a lot of like parents with small children, but that's a whole nother set of barriers. Um, huh. So anyway, our, all that to say, our, our legislative session runs from 
roughly the first three months of, of every year. And then the rest of the year, I'm basically prepping for the next one. Um, during the legislative session, like every day that, I mean, you know, COVID, COVID aside, every day that the legislators are in the Capitol doing stuff, I am in the Capitol doing stuff. I'm just either just like watching them. Basically, there's there's two modes during legislative session if you're like a lobbyist, boredom or panic. <laughs> we spend a lot of time just like watching to make sure that nothing weird happens. Let's just see what they're doing today. And if it, none of it applies to you, then it can be a little boring. Mm-hmm. If it applies to you, it's very stressful, especially when you are on the like a more progressive social justice side of things, because that means it's usually not going well. Especially in Georgia. It's not that we're we're dealing in a blue state where like progressive issues are coming up and we're like, oh, amazing progress. Instead, we're like, oh God, what are we losing? Um, yes. uh, Josh McLaurin, a state house rep for Sandy Springs, uh, we were chatting on the podcast last week or however these come out um, about how uh, like resist bot works and how uh, when people are like, call your reps and do these things and just how even like the tools that we've been provided even thus far, which is so much more than what I knew of growing up. I mean, also internet helps, um, but how like you can use those tools to like immediately try to contact your reps, but like at the same time, it doesn't always go well. Um, it, just because the platforms are are glitchy and we're learning and it's fine, but it's at least nice to know that when things like the six week abortion ban come up and there's like very limited time to like have your say, folks like you are there to be like, whoa, and also alerting the public of like, this is call your people because this is bad. Yes, that's basically the other facet of my job is to one and deal with legislators and then to help other people like to, to empower people to understand what's going on with their government and to advocate for the things they care about within it. Um, and, and so that's a lot of what I do during what I call the off season, which is actually the majority of the year. Um, I'm not only like planning and preparing for the next legislative session, but I do trainings and events that are designed to um, bring people in, educate people about the fact that our, our state governments actually have an incredible amount of power of our day-to-day lives and they tend to fly under the radar and um, that that we as residents of the state have a lot of power over what they do and, and that's why I, I love state government because it's this just beautiful nexus of, of accessibility and impact mm-hmm. so state government it's it's great. I'm so excited. I'm happy that you mentioned the the workshops and things because I took one of your advocacy workshops pre-pandemic and it uh, it blew my mind. Uh, it was the uh, it was like schoolhouse rock came to life, but with handouts and lunch. And it was truly I, I thought I understood how things worked. Um, like I consider myself a relatively engaged person. I had no idea. Um, half of the things we talked about and what I could and could not do. I never would have thought that I could like just walk into the Capitol and like talk to somebody. Exactly. You can. You can. And that's also the thing, like that's why I love doing the engagement so much. And I want, I want people to understand, like I was born and raised in Georgia. I went through Georgia public schools K through 12 and nobody ever told me that I'm, I am allowed 
and, and like invited even during legislative session to walk into our state capitol building and go find my elected officials and say, hey, I want to talk to you for a minute. Like that is a thing. There's structure in place to, to facilitate those interactions. And nobody tells us these things. And so I often find when I'm talking to people about our state government that people feel like, um, I, I get a lot of, I'm sorry, this is a stupid question, or I'm really sorry, I feel like I should know this. But like, no, no, you shouldn't. Because when would you have been told? Nobody's, nobody tells us these things. I and so up, that's why I love helping people learn about this stuff. Like I grew up in Wisconsin and figured like, I probably learned this at some point about like the Wisconsin state legislature and then just forgot it because I moved. And then that's probably not what happened. And it's not like when you move to a new state, they give you a handout as to like, oh, this is how we operate here. Cause it might be a little bit different than when you grew up or like where you learned about how things happened. Um, so it was amazing to hear like just the, A, how, like how a bill becomes a law in Georgia and then B, like how you can actually make impact and make a change and voice your concerns and all, all of the things. The, uh, I remember one activity we specifically did, which might be a little bit difficult to describe on podcast, but like the kind of like power mapping of like, if this is the thing you would like to see changed, these are the people you need to talk to. And this is how you figure it all out. And I think at that point, my brain just broke because it was that kind of, you see peek behind the curtain and you see how much stuff you don't know. And there's an opportunity to learn. Um, it was just wonderful and amazing. And like, I still have my little purple folder and like hold it near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm so happy to hear that you find all of that so useful. And I, I think you're right. Like one fault I have with our civics education, of course, I can only speak to Georgia. Um, you know, we, you have to take a government class to graduate high school, but it's very much, here's how the thing works. Um, Lots of schools do tours of the Capitol. I see them all the time from of like all ages, but mostly, mostly elementary schoolers, I think. But it's all like, here is how the laws get made. And there is, there is not enough emphasis, I think, put on. And here is how you as an individual can impact that. And here's where you can use your voice beyond just voting. It's, it's almost presented as if, you vote and then it's like hitting a button and the whole thing goes into goes into motion and there's nothing you can do about it until the next time you vote and like hit the button and that's that's not the case at all there are like so many points like almost every single step a bill moves through before it becomes a law is an opportunity for a bill to live or die and there is a, a way that people can um push for whichever of those they want at every step in the process. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that I thought was helpful was that uh, in that workshop, we also talked about like what to say or like how that it's like, there isn't some fancy script. There isn't some, you don't need to have a college education to go in and talk to your representatives that like, because you are a, a like, if you have an opinion on this, it matters. Um, and I thought that was just so empowering because uh, like you said, our legislators are part-time. They are not, they're, they're everyday people um, that it helps to, to kind of break down those barriers and like have conversations with them as actual people and not like a very strange power structure that you're not even aware of like how, how it works in totality. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. And th there are a few like key things that I want people to understand about this. Um, First of all is 
they're they're just people like there are no special rules for like contacting your elected officials i mean you should address them by like their op like senator or representative otherwise you are just writing an email to a person just write an email the way you would normally write an email or like use your your normal phone etiquette and and that's it like you don't have to say anything special you are the expert in your own experience you don't have to have like specific expertise to for what you have to say to be relevant especially because like their laws are impacting everyday people if they if they pass a law on like uh, uh, what's what's an, I don't know if they pass a law about like trees oh god this is dumb if they, it's not only going to affect arborists right it's also going to affect all the people who like see and live under those trees right and the simple fact of I am a person who will be impacted and here is how this will impact me is a very relevant perspective. Third thing I want people to know, again, like you said, they're part-time um, and they have all different jobs. Like what, what is a lawyer going to know about rules about trees or farming or medicine? And what is a, a doctor going to know about like law or like business economics? Like you, um, they are required to be generalists and the, the smart legislators understand that getting input from, from people who know things about the field they're legislating is really, really helpful, actually. Fourth thing I want people to know, because I know it can be really intimidating anyway to like reach out to your elected officials, they work for you. Like to the extent that there is a power imbalance in that situation, the people are the ones with the power. They are paid with our tax dollars. They are like, we are the people who vote for them and decide if they get to keep their jobs. And yes, like gerrymandering is messed up and there are not enough like people who have competitive like challengers. And so the system is not perfect, but still like we are the ones who get to choose whether or not they're in their jobs. And so they are actually accountable to us. And so like you are the one with the power when you're going in saying, hi, dear person who I hired and pay and can fire, like I, I would like you to know this, keep this in mind or please vote accordingly. Thank you. That's uh. That fourth point is always the one where I think the when you take the tour of the state capitol when you're in elementary school and you look at these adults like that just sticks with you of like these are the adults and I'm I'm not in charge here they are um, which isn't accurate whatsoever. Have um you ever heard the the sort of saying or word of wisdom or I don't know what the right term for this is but like. The weird thing about becoming an adult is that is like looking around at the adults in your life and realizing that they're like just fallible people. Yeah. Like, Nobody legislators are this, like legislators are the same way. Like they're they're just people and they might look like, oh, this is like the big adult, but like go go watch some committee hearings like they're available online like you learn so much just by like watching a handful of those um they're just people with personalities some of them are really smart some of them are nutty some of them will not say anything for an entire committee hearing like some of them are dumb as rocks and some of them are like 
really well-intentioned some of them are just like off and left field and some are like super sharp and on top of things and asking really great questions it's just like they're just it's just a group of people and I think that the more the more exposure you have to just like watching them be people and say things and like have personalities and you realize like oh the adults are only human so they're they're not as scary or intimidating because you realize they're not there's there's no like magical senator button that you hit and then like become a demigod or anything right and to go back to something that you had just said like the uh, you're an expert in your own experience they haven't walked in your shoes they don't understand that while they might be even on more progressive issues, like with the best of intentions, this is going to solve some problem, but they don't see the ripple effects of how it could actually cause harm. Like those things need to be brought up and like given, they should have at least the opportunity to understand a little bit more fully, like what, what they're doing and how it could impact both you as a person, as your community, as people that you uh, identify with. Um, it's uh, yeah, they, they should know how they're, their things attack or not attack, possibly attack, um, but impact individuals that they're supposed to be representing. Exactly. Awesome. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I love those four things though. Like it's, I would, I'm almost afraid to go watch a committee meeting online just to be like, oh, that's what happens because that's not going to be scary at all. No, do it. It's, I mean, yeah, it, it can be a little bit scary because sometimes you're like, oh, you're the people who are in charge. I'm gonna get myself in trouble. I, I make it sound like they're just like all a bunch of like, it's just a hot mess. And that's not that's not it, the case. But like, yeah, you watch this committee hearings and you're like, oh, it's not as it's not as elegant as I thought. It's not super organized. It's like kind of messy. Everything's just like, it's 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 an experience. Uh, if you Google Georgia General Assembly, the website will be the first thing that comes up. Mm-hmm. And you can find the committee meeting recordings on there. Just watch a few. And it's, maybe it's it'll be really experience. It could be the type of thing where it inspires folks that are in the position and have the capability to run for office to be like, hey, I'm I could do that. And then, you could absolutely do it. Almost, yeah. I say this to almost everyone. Almost. You could do this job. And there's so many different levels of government to actually get involved with. Like, it's not just like going into state level things like your city, your town, your community, like all of, even your HOA, if you want to get that granular, um, has positions in which you can like better, make your community better in whatever way, shape or form you want that to be. That's, yes, exactly. You don't have to like maybe state government isn't your thing. Like maybe you watch this and you're like, this is this is dumb. But like you really get riled up about like city council or zoning board meetings, or like you just really love like the US Senate, like more power to you. Like find your your thing or area of engagement doesn't have to be mine. Just like find it mm-hmm. and and go go plug in, in in the way that feels best to you. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Um so uh kind of merging both like the the advocacy angle and the reproductive rights angle and taking it to our supreme court um we know roe versus wade is up for um up for a challenge 
And uh, with the mindset of preparing for the worst, hoping for the best, um, what should the folks that want Roe to be upheld be doing today, tomorrow, in the next six months um, to kind of prepare for uh, what that fight could look like? Oh God, this makes me so stressed. Um, oh, I'm so stressed. Okay. Um, for just for context for folks, like the Supreme Court would not have taken this case um, of, of Mississippi's like 16 week abortion ban if they did not intend to revisit the precedent of Roe in some way. So like there, there is no, there is no universe where we come out of this without something changing. Right. And it's not gonna be good. Um, so there's, there's a few different, a few different like avenues for this. First of all, um, the, the thing I need folks to understand is that if, and this is, this is probably the, in the most dramatic scenario where the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, which is not necessarily the case. They, they could um, simply say, you know what, like 15 weeks is, is like the new line. Like, I'll, like Mississippi can do this or like allow more rollbacks to abortion rights and, and but like not get rid of it. Like there, there's a few different ways they could like land at a decision. But anyway. A, the, just because they're taking up this case does not mean abortions will be illegal across the United States. Like that is not how this splits. Well, yes. And that's the thing I want people to understand because let us, let us say hypothetically that they, they overturn Roe v. Wade and we go back to pre-Roe days. The thing I want folks to understand about, about pre-Roe is that um, abortion was not wholesale illegal everywhere in the United States. It was up to the states. And so if, if the Supreme Court overturns Roe, it will once again become up to the states to um, regulate or protect abortion access as they will. And, and so this is, this is why it's really important to, to be plugged in with your state government because you know Georgia, if that's the case then our six week ban will probably go into effect. Um, if you are in a state that, that like protects reproductive rights, then great. If you're if you're in a state that's in between, I guess I guess what I'm saying is between now and then and after, pay close attention to your state's individual policies about um, abortion access. The um, Guttmacher Institute, I, and I'll send you a link to maybe we can drop in the show notes. I'm like giving you tasks to do. Yeah. Um, I love, Guttmacher has a really excellent summaries of like state laws on abortion access, anal contraception. And, and so you can literally just like go in there and be like, Georgia, Wisconsin, and just see all of your state's laws. Most people have no idea exactly how hard it is to get an abortion in their state. It's way harder than most people think. Um, and so educate yourself on those and like try to advocate for your state to do better. If that, um, you know, if, if you're in Georgia, I mean, like, we need you, please do it. But also, like, that's not, might not be the, the best use of your energy in the intervening time. Um, going, continuing on the, like, worst case scenario train. Um, 
if if we hit a point where like Georgia's six week ban goes into effect and, and like Mississippi is able to enact their 15 week ban, what we're going to need to do like as a movement is get the people who need abortions to the states where they can get those abortions. And that's where abortion funds come in. Abortion funds already exist. They're wonderful um, because um, lots of insurance doesn't cover abortion. Um, our, the, the Hyde Amendment prevents federal funds from going to abortion. So if you um, get your insurance through Medicaid and you don't live in a state that puts uses state Medicaid funds to cover abortion, you're paying out of pocket. If you um, are in any situation where you are getting your insurance coverage through the federal government, military, government employees, um, Indian health services, like your insurance does not cover abortion except in very limited circumstances. Georgia has a similar provision. So if you're like a public school teacher in the state of Georgia, like you're paying out of pocket for an abortion unless you like have very, very limited like health situations. Um, we also have restrictions in Georgia and we're not the only one that um, insurance plans sold on our state affordable care act exchange can only cover abortion in limited circumstances. And so all of these situations, all these situations, all those, all of those restrictions create situations where a lot of people are paying out of pocket already for their abortions. And y'all might remember a few years ago, um, I forget who, someone did a national survey and found that most Americans don't have $400 cash to like pay for an emergency. Um, depending on, on like how far along you are and what you need, an abortion can be a lot more than $400. And so that's where abortion funds come in. They, they help people pay for their abortions. Um, if you don't live near a clinic, you might need help with a ride or a place to stay overnight. And abortion funds also like have volunteers who can help meet those practical needs. So already we love an abortion fund. Mm -hmm. um, in, in the Southeast, we have ARC Southeast Access Reproductive Care. There's a national network of abortion funds. If you wanna like look them up and find your locals or just donate to the national network and they will disperse the funds. Um, so, support your abortion funds. <laughs> and if, if things go sideways next year, up your support for abortion funds because we're going to be relying on them extensively. Right. And finally, there is, the, the ray of hope is federal law. The whole reason we're in the situation in the first place is that Congress cannot do its fucking job. Mm -hmm. Like I am really over, the lack of a functioning Congress on, on like multiple levels. Like the whole reason we're sweating about like appellate courts like overturning DACA is because Congress can't do its job. And so what we need is for Congress to do its damn job because the, the only reason that the Supreme Court can say like yay or nay to states is because Congress has not like stepped in and said like you can or cannot do this to abortion access. Congress could pass a law that would protect abortion access throughout the country. And they're actually working on it. There, there's a bill, it's called the Women's Health Protection Act. There's one in the House and one in the Senate. Um, it recently got a Senate committee hearing and now we're, we're pushing for it to, to move through the House. If you live in Georgia, and first of all, I want you to know, 
both of our both of our senators Warnock and Ossoff have like signed on to the bill. Every Democratic representative except for Sanford Bishop out of Columbus has signed on. None of the Republicans have. So first of all, if if you live in one of the districts I just mentioned, thank your people because we we appreciate that. They don't um, get a lot of things. They normally just get do this. Yes. So it, it, positive reinforcement is yeah. very is good, and. Um, we we need to push for that to get passed, especially before next summer. And so the way we're at right now is that the, the way the House runs things, like the bill's been introduced, but it hasn't like gotten a committee hearing and stuff because they're generally like not gonna bother to do the work unless they get a green light that like this would actually get a floor vote if we move it through all this process. So that means we need to be bugging Nancy Pelosi or more accurately bugging our reps to, to bug Nancy Pelosi and like clear this for a floor vote so that it can move through the process. And now I I'm, can't talk about this without stating the obvious. Like this, this could get through the house, the Senate, maybe not so much. Yeah. Um, and that's where we get into issues of like the filibuster and like, getting getting them to do things mm -hmm. but honestly like you know we're we're seeing now that like folks went to dc and like raised hell over voting rights and now everyone thought it was the voting rights bill in the senate was dead and they were going to go home and this morning i just saw a headline saying that like chuck schumer is telling people to expect a vote on voting rights in like a week it's amazing it's amazing and so like i i want to acknowledge the political reality that like it would be hard for something like this to get through the Senate and we can do it. <laughs> we, we can apply the pressure to like make them make it work. And I, I don't think we have another choice. Like, I, I think that we don't have another choice and to be like audaciously optimistic and do it anyway, because the alternative is, is like sitting and waiting for the Supreme Court to fuck us all over. Yeah. And when, uh, in your professional opinion, when is that happening? The Supreme Court ruling? Mm -hmm. They have not set a day for oral arguments yet. Okay. But the way the Supreme Court works is like they'll, they do, they hear oral arguments through like the, the fall and winter, and then they release decisions in the summer. And they usually save the big ones for the end of the term, which is in like the end of June. Okay. So we're, we've got almost a year. Yeah. before we like find out what's going to happen, which also means we've got almost a year to like do some like preemptive damage control or try to get Congress to like get get out ahead of the court and protect all of our rights. The the two bills that you were talking about, the um the the women's how what women's health protection act. That's it. Uh yeah. have those been in have those been in, in existence for a while and just now they're getting some momentum? Yeah, they've been, uh, oh crap. This is not the first session they've been introduced. I know it's at least the second, mm -hmm. but I, I don't remember the, like, the whole history. For some reason, I had the memory that they had been in existence for a whole lot longer than that. And I was just like, oh, well, at least it's kind of good that they're getting some momentum now. I mean, regardless, it's still good that we're getting some momentum now. Um, but to your point, uh, there's probably a reason why, and it's probably because the Supreme Court picked up that case and we were like, oh, 
this probably isn't going to go well. Um, they're not going to take up this case and then expand access. So, yeah, there are. I think that's for two reasons. The first is that there are a lot, a lot of people who who don't necessarily like feel enthusiastic about the concept of abortion, who probably personally would not get one, but who do believe that it should be there and like safe and legal and accessible for folks who need that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that those folks are um, getting a little bit more mobilized, not only by the Supreme Court case and the like very imminent idea that like, oh, this might all go away, but also in the last few years, I think the anti-abortion movement has like shown their, their true colors with these like, um, like near total abortion bans. And so it, it's, it's one thing to like justify all of the like piddly regulations they were doing before that to try to just do like death by a thousand cuts to abortion access. But it's a totally another thing to, to say like, yes, I will accept banning abortion before most people even know they're pregnant. I think that that is too extreme. For, for a lot of folks who might identify as like moderate on the issue. I also think that um, folks have mistakenly thought that we had re- like the status quo was okay. And so they weren't like fighting for it um, because we have been in a situation for, for almost since Roe actually where abortion abortion access varies based on how much money you have and where you live. So like the more privileged among us can like make a five hour drive to the nearest clinic and pay for a hotel room and like pay a few thousand dollars for like a, well, that, that would be like a very later term where like really complicated abortions can get expensive, but like, I don't know. Anyway, we're like, you can just like pay out of pocket and you can make it work where people without um, cars or who live in rural areas or who like get their insurance through Medicaid couldn't access abortion. And I think folks weren't paying attention to that. And so they thought that this was, this was fine. And because the strategy of the anti-abortion movement for um, many years was to just pass like one regulation after another, after another, after another, after another. And each one in isolation might've looked like, okay, well, this is a reasonable compromise, even though a lot of them are like completely unnecessary. Um, But the cumulative cumulative impact was to stack them on top of each other. And it was really, really hard to like run an abortion clinic or get an abortion. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think people really understood what was happening (laughs) until the last few years. Yeah, like, cause to your point, like in, uh, I, I, I'm not going to be able to cite any of them accurately off the tip of my head, but we had talked about them in that advocacy workshop of just like the hallways need to be X number of inches wide. Okay. But what, like, why are we requiring buildings to, like, there's no point to that. There is no, that has nothing to do with the science or the medicine or anything behind anything, but we're just going to make this a rule to get in people's way. Exactly. We've passed, we, we call them trap laws, targeted regulations on abortion providers. And they're laws that are like ostensibly passed for patient health and safety. Like the hallway rule you mentioned, the rule is that like your hallways have to be wide enough that like 
two people could run down the hallway on like either side of like a stretcher like you would see on like ER. Um, so like in case of emergency, we're able to like move someone fast down our like 20 foot long hallway. Um, you can't even get up to speed in a 20 foot hallway. Like right, and like, and that's not, that's not a scenario that happens in, in abortion provision because abortion is safer than a colonoscopy. Abortion is safer than giving birth. And, and so like, we, there's a lot of laws like that, that um, are, are quote unquote for patient health and safety, but they're not actually like proportionate to like the actual medical risks or lack thereof that are at play in abortion care. And so instead, like imagine if you're, if you're an abortion clinic that's open at the time that law is passed, you're either gonna have to retrofit your building or move. And that's like millions and millions and millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So laws like that shut clinics down, they make it really hard to, to open new ones. And ultimately that just takes um, providers away from patients, making it harder for them to access because you have to drive further and dispute appointments and all that jazz. Hmm. Huh. That was a lot, but that was a lot of, this has been so much great information. Um, so looking forward to the rest of the year. And like you said, uh, whether it's the, whether it's the uh, potential bills at the federal level, whether it is uh, the decision on the Supreme Court level, like there's going to be some hopefully some positive changes, but like, again, plan for the worst, hope for the best. Um, if people want to get involved, what could they do right now? We mentioned the abortion funds, call your reps. Is there anything else that they could take part in? So this is a little bit hard right now because COVID has impacted our ability to like run a volunteer program and have a lot of events. Like I'm currently uh, struggling to decide whether to do like our, our big fall event. Um, what I can tell you is that in, on August 18th, I'm not sure if this episode will even be out before then. Yeah. Um, every, this is my favorite event of the year, actually. Um, I just partner with a lawyer from the ACLU of Georgia and we do a Supreme Court recap. We pick the, the biggest cases of the term um, or some that like aren't big, but are very worthy of people's attention. And we tell you about them in non-lawyer speak and answer people's questions. And so that's going to be on Zoom. You, if you go to feministcenter.org slash events, you can RSVP to get the Zoom link. It's gonna be August 18th at 6.30 PM. Um, the best way to keep up with us is to of course follow us on social media mm -hmm. and to sign up for our email list. If you go to our website, feministcenter.org, you can just, there's a get involved place. You can sign up for our email list. And um, we have a particular like advocacy email list that you can sign up for that's like beyond like all of our like center-wide updates but this is just like, this is where I will send out action items during the legislative session and beyond lots during legislative session, less beyond. <laughs> um, if you, so if you wanna keep up with like areas that your support is needed, that's a really good way to do it. Um, yes, I would also just say like, 
if you're listening to this and maybe abortion isn't your thing, but you are really interested in how you can like plug in and get involved in the issues you care about, like find the organizations that are doing the work and just follow them, like get on their email list, follow them on social media, because like there are a lot of people like me in different issues, different issue areas (laughs) whose entire job it is to track what's happening in like law world and help other people learn how to plug in. So you don't have to be able to spend all of your time tracking bills throughout our legislative session because other people are going to do that work and then they're just going to tell you what you need. So find the organizations that are working on the stuff you care about and follow them. I know it might not feel like a super satisfactory ask right now, but um, it actually is a really good way to, to stay involved with future updates. Also, um, you know, like we said, email your, or, or call, like reach out to your like US Senator and representative, thank them if they signed on to the Women's Health Protection Act and, and like tell them how important this is. This issue is, is urgent very urgent and, and like needs their attention. I would also say reach out to your state level elected officials. If you don't know who they are, you can look them up on openstates.org and um, tell them that abortion access is important to you. I, I know that like it might not yield immediate results, but first of all, it's an important part of just like building political will towards an issue that people hear that their constituents value it. Um, but also, like it, it just matters that they know that we care and that we're watching mm-hmm. and that hopefully when, when they're in a position to act, to, to make abortion access easier for Georgians, they will remember because we'll keep hounding them forever <laughs> and then actually do the thing as soon as we have a government that will like let them do it. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time and all of your knowledge and wisdom and uh, ability to break down government into a way that uh, everyday folks can be like, oh, I, I'm in charge and you report to me and I get to walk into this state house or, and, and not necessarily like bossy around, but like, let my feelings be heard and my experience be known. Um, so thank you so much. We uh, greatly appreciate it. And Oh yeah, of course. Um, and thanks to everybody for listening. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover or a particular person you want us to chat with, uh, drop us a line at ifnotus.tv and just let us know. And um, just like we've kind of covered in this episode, uh, just remember change belongs to everyone. And so do your part and make the world a better place. Bye.